other accountable. But in chapter 7, there's a shift. It, it, It flows on one to the other, but there's a shift because he isn't speaking here about things he's heard reports about, but rather he starts by saying this in chapter 7, verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Here Paul starts answering questions that he's been asked by the Corinthians. Uh, We don't have the letter uh, that he's already referred to in this letter, uh, but these are the things it appears they wanted to know. And uh, and yet as Paul gives the answers, it's not separate from the chapters that have gone before. In fact, the answers only make sense in light of what God has done in the Lord Jesus. And it's only possible to achieve the holiness that's being spoken of here given what God's done in the Lord Jesus for us. So uh, just to give you a a quick orientation of how this flows out, we're doing a series on 1 to 7. We'll come back to the rest uh, later uh, another time. But after 7 verse 1, there's four more of these milestones. And so in uh, uh, 7 verse 25, he says now about virgins, Uh, Then in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Now about food sacrificed to idols. That one there? Yep. Uh, And then then he'll go on to talk about that, his response to that. Then in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, and he'll go on and talk about that. And then finally, in 16, verse 1, he says, Now about the collection of the Lord's, uh, for the Lord's people. So you see the pattern that's there? Well, that being the case, the introduction and where we read the words in 7 verse 1, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, they aren't Paul's words, but rather flagging what he's about to talk about using their own words, okay? He's repeating their words to connect in with the questions he asked or the statements they've made uh, to him. So let me read... Uh, now we've taken our bearings, let me read, uh, we'll look at 7 verse 1 to 7, and I'm not bringing the verses up each time here, I do want you to look on in your Bible as we do go through this, much the way we did last week. Uh, But starting in verse 1, with emphasis added by me, uh, now for the matters you wrote about, you decided it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, But, on the contrary, uh, since sexual immorality is occurring, Paul says, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Uh, The message overall is clear. If you're married, be sexually intimate with your spouse as much as lovingly serves them. Let me walk through it with you. Paul gives a motive at the beginning of uh, verse 2. We'll come back to that. Then halfway through, he says, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Uh, There's an expectation that this, uh, and I should say, because I've said it uh, last week as well, uh, that sexual intimacy is not a separate part of God's creation uh, to marriage, but it's actually actually, uh, part of God's creation of marriage, okay? It's not separate. Uh, 
And just to be clear, this chapter we're reading and as we're talking about marriage, this doesn't say everything there is to say about marriage in God's word. We're not going to try and cover everything today, but it does focus on a particular part with principles that flow on to the rest of marriage. Indeed, it itself is soundly anchored in God's uh, good design for marriage. And that's why we went to the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis 2, uh, for our first reading. And Genesis 2:24, uh, where the first man and the first woman uh, are given this gift of marriage. Uh, we read, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And while one flesh here isn't just about sexual intimacy but sharing our lives and our very selves intimately, it is at the same time a key part of it. Uh, it is something God has given uh, to encourage and promote that and therefore a key part of marriage. Now, last week, uh, when we were preaching, uh, well, we weren't all preaching, one of us was preaching and you graciously listen. Uh, and thank you for the, uh, the elevation earlier, David, uh, from just being Roger. Uh, but uh, it got me thinking about how, how can we uh, talk about the place of sexual intimacy within marriage in a way that sort of grasps some of uh, the significance of it. And uh, I came up with a few ideas, but the, the one I landed on that I think is helpful is uh, think about... Uh, a nuclear reactor, okay? You know, we use them for power stations and submarines and that sort of thing. Uh, what is going on inside that reactor is powerful, right? And it can be harnessed for good, okay? Uh, and sexual intimacy is like that. It is powerful and can be harnessed for good, but the thing about the nuclear reactor is we all know that if, it, if what is in there isn't contained within the reactor where it belongs, it will harm you and it will harm others. And that's what we're seeing here. This is God's expectation of sexual intimacy if it's expressed in the wrong way. And that must not happen among God's people. Now, it seems uh, there were Christians in Corinth who decided uh, they had come up with uh, uh, a view that somehow setting aside this sexual intimacy in marriage uh, was better, was more holy uh, than not. Uh, and they wouldn't have come up with this in a vacuum because, in fact, it was very common among uh, Greek thinkers and Corinthians in, in that neck of the woods uh, to think that somehow the, the goal of life is to actually to escape the body, you know, that we're spiritual and physical, but ultimately the important stuff is the spiritual. And so, you know, that's what led to, and we talked about a week or two ago, uh, uh, sometimes a view of the body is just being something that you can use up and do what you like with, and it's all right, you're going to chuck it away and be a spiritual being in the end. Uh, uh, and other people, you know, took the view of, yeah, well, therefore I can do whatever I want. Well, here we see this other view, which is, oh, okay, well, I'm going to set aside uh, the physical, the, the bodily, uh, because 
that is less spiritual and less holy uh, than to abstain. So, uh, this is different. Uh, these, these were people, though, who were married. So, is it better for a man not to have sexual intimacy with his wife? This is not the only time uh, that intimacy has been frowned on in church history. In fact, this is one of those times, and I don't know if you've noticed this with reading the Bible and other themes of the Bible, that sometimes there are two things that are held together and when we look at them, we sort of go, oh, they don't sit easily with one another and people tend to gravitate towards one or the other when it's both. And I think in the history of churches and of reading the Bible, this has happened with uh, the very topic we're talking about today, where some people gravitate towards do whatever you want and other people gravitate towards do nothing at all. Uh, uh, I found this from last time I preached on this passage, uh, that in fact Eves of Chartres, a monk who lived during the Middle Ages, uh, he was someone who frowned on sexual intimacy in church history. Uh, he said, if you wanted to be spiritual, you should abstain on Thursdays in remembrance of Jesus rising to heaven, on Fridays because of the crucifixion, on Saturdays to honour the Virgin Mary on Sundays for Christ's resurrection and on Mondays out of respect for the dead. Which means at least you had something to look forward to midweek. <laughs> uh, but whether you're tempted to think of uh, intimacy, uh, sexual intimacy, less marriage as more holy or just wondering how should you think about it? Uh, godly people like you and I who have been made in, in Christ, spiritual people have sexual intimacy in marriage where it's powerful and good for us and we don't have it outside of marriage uh, where it's destructive to us and to others. Do you remember what the last words were of our uh, previous chapter? Uh, chapter 6 from verse partway through verse 19. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Well then, chapter 7 is a master's class for honouring God with your body, both for married and for those of us who are not married. And a key aspect of it is avoiding sexual immorality. Okay, And that's a motive because the nature of sin, the nature of what we continue to deal with in this life until Jesus returns and the life to come, uh, is the deceitfulness of sin in our own hearts. Uh, and sin will take the good things of God, and this is very much one of the good things of God, uh, and it will twist them and deceive us. We will be self-deceived. The other thing sin does is it exploits opportunity. And so if you take something that has such a powerful drive as this, well, sin will twist and turn and will justify when we are drawn into that, those lies. 
And so adultery and homosexual activity and pornography and any other form of sexual immorality are all inappropriate for us when we trust the message of the cross. And if we're going to be godly, well, have a look at what Paul says in verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and the likewise the wife to her husband. Marriage brings joys and responsibilities, but wonderfully in God's good design, even the responsibilities can be a joy. And so a key responsibility is to serve our spouse in this area. The motive, uh, another motive is there in verse four. That is in marriage, when you sign up for marriage, uh, it comes to pass, my body doesn't belong to me, uh, I submit myself to my wife's needs. And likewise, her body doesn't belong to her, but she submits herself to my needs. Now that is earth shattering. It's extraordinary that Paul says this here in verses one to seven. And I wonder whether you, you notice that uh, for all the view that we are so much more enlightened these days and know so much more uh, and, and that secular humanism, a, a way of thinking about life where we, what we see is all there is and, and God really is just uh, the stuff of fable and make-believe. We live in a world that is shaped now by the transforming work of the gospel here back then. Because husbands and wives, in this word from Paul, are clearly equal and have mutual responsibilities to each other when it comes to sexual intimacy. If, if you were reading anything else from this time, you wouldn't find this equality or mutual responsibility. Unlike his contemporaries, Paul doesn't give any suggestion that this is, this is all one-sided and in the favour of men uh, and that women are there just to, to meet their needs. And likewise, you see here, it recognises actually in God's good purposes, women have needs in this space as well. And they are given to each by God to serve each other. Now come to verse 5. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so you, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so God's good purposes is sexual intimacy with your spouse as serves them. And he gives this one uh, time, this one uh, concession, he calls it this one exception, uh, where you both agree to it and so you can commit yourselves to prayer. Given everything else that he said this morning, that says a lot about prayer, doesn't it? <laughs> but even for prayer, we can't afford to think that that's an authentic expression of our relationship with God if by taking this path we end up committing sexual immorality. Uh, you can see the irony, uh, I expect. You can see the tragedy uh, if that were to be the case. So let's sum up. Sexual intimacy with your spouse in marriage as serves the other is what walking in holiness looks like 
in marriage. Okay? But again, to be clear, Paul says in verse 7, here's an interesting twist, but I wish you were all as I am, which he tells us in verse 8 is single. Uh, And we are going to talk about this uh, more in depth next week. But, But what's the effect of saying that? It's that neither being married and being uh, sexually intimate with your spouse or being single and not sexually intimate with anyone, neither is more godly, neither is more holy, neither is more Christ-like than the other. God's wisdom promotes both. You only have to read the second half of verse 7 to see that. It's God who's given, uh, and he calls them both gifts, the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness, each one a good gift from our sovereign God and each a valid way of life when we live them out in a way that honours him with our bodies. It's not to say that that will always be easy or that there aren't challenges but we want to see things through God's eyes. Now, before we uh, get more into uh, verses 8 and 9, we do need to do some thinking about where the rubber hits the road for us in our marriages. Uh, We're not going to go into this in any great detail, but but just to recognise that just as men and women are made differently by God, uh, made different by God, and we complement each other in our differences. You know, we're both made in the image of God, but the differences uh, actually uh, are given for marriage and this intimacy. Uh, so as we're different uh, physically and biologically, uh, there are differences in our um, emotions and our passions and drives. Uh, and so... Spouses can have different desires in this space. And yet as we seek to fulfil what God says here, we're given the opportunity to practise the very thing he's encouraging us to do, to serve one another in our differences, whatever you might find them to be in uh, your experience. And so uh, one of those Uh, biblical overarching principles is playing out here uh, in God's word today. You know, know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? And I love how he gave two as the answer. Uh, Love God, love your neighbour. And have you ever thought about whether you are married or thinking about the people you know who are married, When someone is married, their closest neighbour is their spouse. Uh, And we have the great opportunity to practise loving our neighbour starting in our very homes. Loving our spouses with a willingness to meet their sexual uh, uh, intimacy needs. So, uh, if I can give you this Uh, thought, the overarching responsibility for each person in a marriage is to give uh, and give rather than take and take 
Our lives work so much better, don't they? Uh, Because of God's good design when we live this way. Now, uh, recognising that aspect of living in marriage, of course, I need to say at this point, uh, and in the cases of both men and women, there are times when for one reason or another, uh, people circumstances require uh, sensitivity and wisdom in how to act in this space. But the principle remains other person loving service. And we need to be sensitive to each other as we encourage one another uh, in each other's marriage marriages in the same way. And that's why marriage is first a commitment uh, to one another a commitment to meet uh, one another in the joys and the difficulties, to give ourselves through them rather than to try and extract something from each other. And at the end of the day, we need to work all of this out in each of our marriages, uh, together as husbands and wives and as followers of the Lord Jesus with outcomes that are marked by mutual love and care for our spouse. You going okay? Okay, we're coming onto the home uh, stretch uh, now. Uh, one of the challenges, and I sort of raised it in my initial question, uh, that people have faced and people have observed or felt that they have heard, is this question of uh, whether marriage is the goal of life or not. And so when we come to verses 8 and 9, here's something very, uh, uh, in, uh, something that really speaks into that place. Uh, Paul says, if you're unmarried, it is a good thing to stay unmarried, as I am, he says, uh, more next week. Uh, though he does say, if you're unmarried and your sexual passions are too strong for you to keep away from immorality, then get married for far better to get married and express those energies in marriage and therefore godliness than to try and remain single for godly reasons and yet fall into immorality. Now, I don't think I've mentioned it earlier on, but I don't think I've, I don't think I've had a conversation with the person who's argued to me, at least in our church, that it's more godly not to have sexual intimacy in marriage. I may have, but I don't remember it. Uh, And God's answer, uh, just to pull the threads together, is simply, uh, it's not. Marriage is a good gift from God. It is a commitment. uh, Like the, uh, the introduction to the marriage service says, it's not to be entered into lightly. Uh, But before we conclude, and and along that line, we get to verses 10 to 11, which offer us a sort of picture into the extent of this commitment. It's written to Christians who are married to each other. Uh, We'll get to some of the other cases next week. Verse 10. To the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Uh, And so what he's saying here is, 
uh, he's, you know, he's spoken about within marriage, and then he's spoken about to the unmarried, and now he's speaking to the married again and saying, remain married. The immediate thing that came up in my mind when I uh, read this passage and in preparation, uh, and perhaps it's come up for you, whether for your experiences or others you know, is, well, what do I make of those very difficult and painful situations? Uh, Situations like abuse or abandonment. And so I've actually been reflecting on that as I read through this passage, and and I actually think... He's not actually trying to deal with every circumstance uh, of marriage, just like he's not trying to deal with every circumstance and important question that we will have to face as we live out our holiness before God. And so I think the main thing we're meant to do in answer to that question and when we go, but what about, but what about, is actually to go, okay, what is the main thrust uh, of what he is saying here? Uh, we can deal with those other uh, specific cases another time. But what is the main thing he's saying? Well, Paul doesn't spell out all the background uh, in a whole lot of ways, uh, but he is picking up on marriage. We tend to think of uh, marriage in the Bible when it talks about Jesus and the church. And this great heavenly wedding day, this great heavenly marriage. I I think we tend to, as Christians, when we read our Bibles, think, oh, well, God took marriage and said, well, that's a pretty good way to illustrate it, so I'll use that uh, to explain uh, the reality of our forgiveness in Christ. But actually, when you read your Bible, it's the other way around. The heavenly reality was always God's goal and good design and he built marriage into creation so it might be a living, breathing, walking illustration of what he has ultimately planned for all who trust Jesus. And so as he is faithful, so he seeks that we be faithful when we give our commitment to one another. And so uh, that is the main thrust of what is going on here, which is if you're a follower of Jesus and you have entered into marriage, then you have a responsibility to seek uh, with, it, it, with what is in your power to remain married. And the thing that strikes me there is that uh, our greatest challenge, the challenge within us is sin. To actually want to be self-serving rather than other person serving. Uh, Where sin takes the opportunity and we deceive ourselves, we can't control uh, the other person in our relationships uh, and in marriage, Uh, but we do have a responsibility uh, to say no to sin by God's work in us. Uh, And to the extent that we are able uh, to remain married. Friends, I love marriage. Uh, You'll be pleased to know. I hope this puts a smile on your face. I love my marriage. Okay, that's a good outcome for this morning. Uh, I love that God has given marriage to all of us who are married uh, or may be married in the future. Uh, But I, I also have this concern, concern for us 
that is that we see each other, that we church with one another, that we encourage one another in the things of Christ and yet we're a closed book with one another when it comes to uh, marriage and our marriages and being appropriately accountable to one another to encourage us. We want to encourage one another as far as we're able that no one who is married among us arrives at the place where they're considering divorce or separation. 1 Corinthians 5 warned us uh, and challenged us uh, and empowered us to think how we can lovingly serve each other, reminding each other of what godliness and holiness looks like. And indeed, we have that privilege and opportunity and responsibility uh, here as a church to do that for one another. Our marriages are too important to not do so. But at the same time, marriage is not the be-all and end-all. It is not the be-all and end-all. Holiness is. Our marriages are important. And they are great and they are God's good gift. But so too is singleness. It is great. It is God's good gift as well. And even as I said, marriage is not the be-all and end-all, one marriage is. The marriage that we've touched upon several times this morning. The marriage between the Lord Jesus and his church. That we who have placed our trust in him as our Lord and Saviour who brings forgiveness will bring all of us married or single, into the eternal realm of knowing him and being known by him forever. What an incredible intimacy we look forward to. May Jesus, by his work in us, lead us there in holiness, whatever our circumstances. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for all the good gifts you give us. We thank you for the different circumstances and contexts in which you place each of us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would grant us uh, other person-centeredness in all of them. We pray that you would forgive us uh, for the times that we are self-centered or that we believe uh, the lies of sin and justify our actions. Rather, Father, uh, as we hear your word today, we want to grow more like the Lord Jesus in our marriages, in our singleness, in our church, that we might be imitators of him. And we ask this in his mighty name. Amen.